you don't get to walk into your local library and pick up a book and say, this is how you do this. So we've got to make this up as we go along. What is up? What's up? Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting. And you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode 21.7, if you remove the decimal. I'm getting so intricate with these. And today's guest is Paul McCarthy. You heard that right, Paul McCarthy. Paul is the founder and CEO of Snapfix, one of my favorite company names of all time, but a super cool company that is building the maintenance platform for the world. Snapfix helps properties, teams, buildings communicate with each other and solve problems and and solve maintenance issues and building issues through the use of things as simple as photos and traffic lights. That's traffic light imagery and symbols. It's an absolutely awesome platform. And it's all about simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. That's what we talk about with Paul, which rhymes with all. And in addition, we get into how to give your team that autonomy needed to help your business explode with growth. And a little bit about Paul's background growing up on a farm in Ireland with about 487 siblings. It is Paul Wall McCarthy. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Paul McCarthy of Snapfix, and so this is sure to be one of the snappiest, fixiest, you know, make up your own adjective or adverbs, no, adjectives, <laughs> interviews you'll ever hear. Paul joining us from sunny Dublin, as you said. Thanks so much for joining, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely fantastic, Max. I'm delighted to be here and to be chatting to somebody in New York, my own hometown, for 10 years. That is so cool. So yeah, born and born and raised in in Ireland, which we'll, we'll talk about. But spent a decade in New York, and I know I know you lived in the East Village. Uh, what, what's your favorite memory from living in that part of town? I think it was just a mix of the community. The, the East Village was 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 evolving at the time, and it was just a fantastic place. Great cafes. It's got to be the cafes, the restaurants, the uh, the nightclubs. It was absolutely a wonderful place to live at the time. Oh yeah, a nice edge to the neighborhood. Absolutely, yeah. There's so. I used to live in Murray Hill, uh, so I guess you know, right next door to East Village, and especially on the weekends, you know, Friday, Saturday night, you know, my friends and I, you know, oftentimes we'd start at my apartment or my buddy's apartment nearby, have some drinks before going out, and then sure enough, we'd you know, we'd take a cab or take an Uber downtown and go to the East Village bars or out in the Lower East Side. There's just so much, I um, make so much to do there. Yeah, it's 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 really cool that you live there. Speaking of village, I want to talk about villages. <laughs> in Ireland as well. So I heard that you actually grew up in a farm in Ireland. That's right, Max. I actually grew up in a farm in, uh, out in the country in Ireland, and I'm one of 12 kids. So uh, we joked growing up, uh, we were a, a soccer team and a substitute. <laughs> oh my God, that's that's a great line. Wow. It makes me think of, um, so my, my grandpa Fred, who 
passed away recently. He, he, he actually, he grew up on a farm and he was one of 10 children. And fun fact, he actually, you know, the love of his life, my grandma Barb, she, he was the youngest of 10 siblings and she was the oldest of 10 siblings. So talk about a range of cousins there. But anyway, that's, that's a little aside. So you, you grew up on a farm with a full football team and a substitute growing up in that farm environment. What, what did that teach you about life and, and business kind of what lessons can you trace back to that? Um, great question, Max. I think one of the key lessons from growing up on a farm is you're always, there's always something to be done. Seven days a week, didn't matter if it was Christmas Day or, or any other day of the year, there were always, you know, cattle to be fed. There was always fences to be mended. There was always crops to be sown or harvested or whatever. There was always something going on and there was there was not a lot of downtime, to be perfectly honest. The, that, that the advantage of it was, you know, you got kind of the entrepreneurial bug. You know, we were always doing things, buying and selling things, trading things, going to horse fairs, buying and selling horses, buying and selling, you know, um, stock or, or produce, as you call it, from, from the farm itself. Um, buying and selling farms and then developing businesses out of that, including a warehousing business and a, and a property development business. So it was a great foundation of teamwork, of innovation, of, of survival in many cases, and just trying to get things done all the time. This is a two-parter. Sorry, because I, I hate two-part questions, but I, I have to ask, what was your favorite and least favorite task to do around the farm? Um, when I had a motorcycle... The favorite one was rounding up the cattle. So that was cool. So it was like, you know, you know, I was I was actually barred from getting a motorcycle and I just arrived home at one at the age of 16 and uh, and I had it and I had it paid for and I had the helmet and everything like that. So using it on the farm was kind of the quick way into um, to have it accepted in the house. The least favorite one would have been doing stuff that was highly inefficient even as a as, as a young kid i hated wasting time so very often um we'd have we'd have some some work to do and you could have got a machine for it and it would have done it in an hour no no we had to do it manually and it would have taken you know six of us a week to do it and so because there, there was a lot of manpower and woman power available on the farm we probably didn't do a lot of things very efficiently and that used to drive me nuts well, that is some incredible foreshadowing to your business, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, the the image of herding cattle with a motorcycle in the Irish countryside is like so awesome. That sounds like something out of a movie. That's so wonderful. Like I would love to do that. That should be like an amazing <laughs> excursion or, or or some sort of travel thing that you can do is is drive around a motorcycle on a farm. Like that, that's so cool. Uh, so so your life is a movie, basically, is what I'm saying. But uh, the the other aspect that's fascinating fascinating about your background, uh, you know, the, the whole roster of your football slash soccer team. Uh, so twelve of you. That is uh, a heck of a of a busy house or or, or busy farm. So, uh, what did you learn from having so many siblings and uh, you know so many people under that same roof growing up? You learn to share pretty quick, you know, and you learn how to protect <laughs> your you, you learn how to protect your lunch and dinner with your life, um, or, or or it could be taken from you. No, I'm joking about that part of it. I never got beaten up as a kid, which was always kind of a bonus, you know, and. And we were never robbed or anything like that. No one would ever come near our house. It just you wouldn't get away with it. No, be, being more seriously, um, I think the the spirit of teamwork was engendered into us very, 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 very early. Very often we were using a lot of heavy machinery and heavy equipment and really dangerous equipment. 
So you had your family in lives in the palm of your hands on a regular basis. You know, they could be up at a height and you could be, you could have a tractor with a front loader on it and you could have them 20, 25 feet in the air. You had to be super careful um, around health and safety. And this is when health and safety wasn't a thing, but you knew that um, you just had to be super careful at all times. You mentioned inefficiency and just hating groaning on things that are inefficient growing up and you look to your business now Snapfix, and i think it's all about efficiency uh, so uh, no question that you have kind of deep-rooted passion in, in that area and making things efficient making things simple so let's get to Snapfix, which is an awesome name by the way i think you know when people are picking a name for their business they're often you know they want to use like vivid verbs or or just words that are really quick and intuitive to and have strong meaning behind it. Snap fix. I mean, both of those words are <laughs> incredibly visual and and fun to say. So so kudos to you on, on picking those uh, two syllables and words there. But snap fix. So it's kind of in the hospitality or maintenance space. How did how did you get into this space to that you ultimately started a business around in the first place? Yeah, so so my background to date is over 25 years in computer software development. I graduated with a, with a computer science degree back in the day. In parallel with that, as I'd mentioned, I've always been involved in managing and maintaining properties. So about five years ago, I joke with people that I had about 50 post-it notes stuck to my face with requests coming in from tenants and guests and, and residents in offices to, to have items addressed and I was trying to communicate those to contractors and I was stuck in the middle and the common denominator max was um, was WhatsApp and WhatsApp is the most wonderful tool for chat and for and for just chatting and communicating it's not very good for and it just was never built or fit for a purpose for getting things done from a kind of a project or a task management perspective so I set myself the mission to create the simplest maintenance platform on the planet by using photos as a means of communication and identified the traffic light as the simplest means of collaboration. The traffic light is, is, is the universal symbol of teamwork. It doesn't matter what country you, you go to and you drive to a junction, everybody uses traffic lights. So in a very lofty futuristic sense, we're, we've created a, a language for people to be able to communicate using photos and collaborate using traffic lights without the use of any text at all. But of course you can use text in, in Snapfix. And when when did you realize the the tension there of uh, yeah WhatsApp is awesome it's uni- you know it's literally globally used it's it's very effective but when did you realize it wasn't so efficient for uh, you know these maintenance requests and in, in, in property management tasks very quickly because using WhatsApp I just spend my spend my days scrolling up and down trying to figure out what requests were new what were in progress and what were done and I just literally just wanted to answer those three things. And that's, that's the beauty of the simple three traffic light uh, colors. Red means something needs to be done. Yellow is in progress and green is done. And for most people, that's all they ever need to know. It is. And again, you know, it, it, it likens back to the name, like simple and quick and easy. Uh, traffic light is the same sort of thing. It's got beautiful imagery and uh, it's very, very quick to internalize whether something, you know, needs work or is, or is good to go or, or, or is in between. In terms of Snapfix. Uh, what was involved on the on the tech side of actually, you know, developing this platform? Well, one of the greatest fortunes I've I've had to date was meeting my CTO. 
I met maybe about 10 companies before meeting Cahill Greeny. And um, when I when I was explaining to him what I was trying to build, he literally kind of started taking the sentences out of my mouth and he carried on talking about it because we're talking about a, a global distributed um, cloud-based architecture that synchronizes instantly between Apple and Android and websites and, and all of this stuff. And he just got it right away. And we hit it off within about 45 seconds of meeting for the first time. And, um, and it's been absolutely fantastic since. The second part of, of that equation would be the design of the system. And I often use the analogy of Microsoft Word. No, nothing against Microsoft, but we all pay for 100% of Microsoft Word and we use 1% of it. And I was absolutely dedicated and focused on only working on the 1% solution. And that's what Snapfix is. The tech part of it is super cool. The tech for, you know, for the layman, for, for the average person can be totally, you know, like above your head. And like, I, I'm somebody that knows tech pretty well now, but I still like, I, I don't know much about the coding side of things or software development or, you know, even like IT and troubleshooting, things like that. So it becomes so much more important, uh, you know, for the average consumer to have that simplicity and simplicity is is an area that i've heard you talk about time and time again of this needs to be simple and we've created a simple solution to do these things even though the tech can get complicated on the back end of that uh or front end i don't even i don't even know what's the right way to say that <laughs> but on the back end how do you and the development team keep that emphasis on simpl simplicity for the end consumer um, a couple of key, a couple of key areas there. The first thing is we we start with no. We start with there isn't going to be another feature in Snapfix. So every new feature that we do allow in has to pass through a whole series of gates, and we have two rules for it. It has to be the simplest possible solution on the planet for that feature, and it has to be universal so that everybody will be able to use it. So we 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 maintain a relentless focus on that, and. The second thing we do, Max, is um, is I've instructed our, our product designer, who's 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 a wonderful designer, to remove ten percent of Snapfix every year, so we can see by the data, by our own data analytics, what people aren't using. And you know, sometimes we get a couple of things wrong, we take it away because then you're not carrying forward the cost and effort of maintaining that code going forward when no one really no one really wants it. And sometimes it's just down to trying a different type of feature rather than the feature that was there and not being used, for example. I love that. It's the uh, trim the fat, as people say. How can you be more efficient? How can you cut out that aspect? And so you keep a consistent focus every single year to to be more efficient there. That's awesome. Of the features that are still remaining, you know, there's probably one feature left. No, I'm just kidding. No, of the features that are, are still remaining, what are you seeing You know, in these first few years in business of being the most commonly used features uh you know across the across the network of snapfix a few different sectors use snapfix okay you've got hospitality facilities management construction engineering and the like in construction they're using it quite a bit for um for punch lists they want a high va high volume of activity so i take a picture of this it goes to the electrician i take a picture of that it goes to the plumber i take a picture of that something else it goes to the carpenter they've started using video a lot more especially when there's when they're down to the end of the construction phase and there's an issue like maybe a leaking pipe or something like that well a video within snapfix communicates that very very effect effectively 
The other one is people don't want to use apps. It's it's a hassle to download another app. So what we allow people to do is to use a QR code. So every QR and, and, and it, I believe that every Q, every building should have a QR code, so that anybody could just point their smartphone camera at the QR code and they can contribute to your SnapFix. So one of the things we want to enable is to allow people to leverage the the eyes and ears of everybody in a building to help make it the, the best it can be at all times. Somebody might spot a flickering light. Well, they should be able to report that instantly. We shouldn't have to wait an hour for your maintenance guy to spot it. And it should be easy to report it. And then going into the future, you should be able to use Slack or WhatsApp or email or whatever whatever user interface you want to be able to communicate into Snapfix. So we do not want to prescribe people to use our app. They should be open to use whatever they wish. Yeah, I think that it goes back to simplicity, but ease of use is so huge, especially when you're in the business of adding more consumers and partners to to actually use this because it can be so helpful. You mentioned several different industries that you're in. I guess on the, the marketing or distribution side, how have you been able to get SnapFix in front of these different vendors and industries in order for them to actually start using this? Well, I guess from day one, when I was bootstrapping it, I showed it to a number of industries. I showed it to hotels, I showed it to um, engineering companies, um, facilities management companies, property managers, and hotels really took to it um, in the early days. So hotels operate 24-7. They have a large audience of multilingual staff, and they demand the highest quality. And when I came across the, the hotel sector, I really gravitated to it because it would stress test the hell out of SnapFix. Because as you can imagine, people check out of hotel rooms you know, every 24 hours. They might check out of an apartment building every six months or 12 months. So we had we'd identified the most intensive um, sector that's really, really hard on buildings. And that was a wonderful, absolutely wonderful sector to start with. We kicked off officially in September 2019, and then six months later, of course, COVID came along and punched us all in the face. So uh, all of our hospitality customers were struggling at the time, and at that point in time, we broadened out to office buildings, apartment buildings, mines in Africa, engineering companies, construction companies, and we were very fortunate that we had architected and designed a solution for the wider sector when when COVID hit. I've always thought that hotels is just a really fun space to be in and it's an industry where obviously so much of the time people are traveling like they're on vacation or maybe they're traveling for something for work where they're you know more often than not they're they're in a different city they're you know it's an experience or maybe an adventure that they're on so there's just kind of like that energy there with hotels and you're with SnapFix, you're kind of like in the in the behind the scenes of like what makes hotel you know what makes the customer service great or what makes their hospitality so hospitable (laughs) <laughs> but uh so it's it's a really neat space to be in i i know that you kind of started the business you know with hotels and all that businesses in ireland and uh are now expanding to florida and, and different countries as well not that florida is a country but you know what i mean what's been involved in expanding internationally outside of ireland with snapfix well, as I mentioned, Max, when um, when COVID hit, we had to go wide and we had to go we had to go internationally. So we were selling B two B, which is bedroom to bedroom, because there, our customers were in their bedroom and we were in our bedroom selling to them. We 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 went wide at the, uh, at at that time using a, a combination of social media and email marketing, and we were very very lucky to um to to meet some amazing customers during that time who 
just were amazed at, at the simplicity of it. To find somebody who was as nutty and crazy as myself, who was just obsessed with simplicity, and they were they all came back saying, we've been looking for something like this. We don't want a thousand features, and we're delighted that we met you. And the the spreading of we using word of mouth after that has uh, has helped has helped us grow as well. We're on five continents now, you know, which is fantastic. So I keep telling the team, who do you know in the Antarctic and who do you know in the Arctic? The Arctic. We got to get the we got to get the last two continents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those might be a bit. I know at the time of the year of recording, uh, by you and by me, it's not the warmest, but I'm sure it's a, it's a heck of a lot warmer than it is in Antarctica. So <laughs> that might be a whole new endeavor. <laughs> even if we have to post, even if we have to mail a phone to each location and get somebody snapfix, we're gonna we're gonna get them in the next year or two. <laughs> So looking back on these last few years of, of growth and going from bootstrapping to, you know, I know you've since raised funding and obviously, you know, the five continents you mentioned, like the business has grown a ton. What has been some key decisions that you've made or key steps that you've made that have really been inflection points in the growth of Snapfix? Really, really good question. On day one, I think it's, um, it's deciding to build an exceptional team. When you, when you interview people and you meet some people, you can meet some people that are, you know, better than others. So when I say better than others, I don't mean twice as good or three times as good. I mean 50 times better. And we've been very, very focused over the last couple of years to build a really, really hot team, kind of an A team. And everyone in Snapfix today, and we're a small company, we're less than 30 people. But everybody in the company now takes ownership of their own role. They're really, really good at what they do. They challenge me. They challenge the management team. They challenge the rest of the team to improve Snapfix in their area. And that's that's wonderful to see. So I can't say enough about the importance of team on day one. Um, it's so important. We're, we're married to each other for the next X number of years. And it's so important to work with people that you like and to give them the autonomy to uh, to run with their side of the business too and let them run through walls let them make mistakes we have a no we have a no blame culture in snapfix as i tell everybody i make 10 times more mistakes than everybody else so stop worrying about it just for not making mistakes for not moving fast enough and that's it that's it we just give people autonomy they can they can they can make their impact on snapfix as we make an impact on the world how do you instill that culture of, hey, it's okay to make mistakes to your team? Um, I think everyone on the team knows me at this stage for being fiercely impatient. So I was going to change. I'm, I'm so sorry, by the way. You've been incredibly patient dealing with me through the course of this. <laughs> I've been thinking of changing my, my title to CIO, Chief Impatience Officer. <laughs> I like that. But I enjoy it. It's, you know, when we when we hit a milestone, we do celebrate it. But I, I honestly say, like, guys, we could have been there three months ago or six months ago, you know. And we, we can't, I, I refuse to use the excuse of COVID or anything else like that. And I think people people enjoy the autonomy is, is the first thing, but they enjoy the focus on um, simplicity. We're building something special here. Like we're building the next Twitter or WhatsApp. We're building a billion dollar business here. And the team that we have around the table at the moment globally are, are really, really committed to that. And we're, we remind them that, that we're trying to do something that no one's done before. We're trying to build the maintenance platform for the world. You don't get to walk into your local library and pick up a book and say, this is how you do this. So we've got to make this up as we go along. 
and let's not sweat the mistakes. And sometimes you have to get used to accepting that, you know, when you make a plan and we have 10 items in the plan, well, one item is a mistake. You just plan to make the mistake and let it blow up and just move on. One place to move on to after your next mistake is the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. It will solve all the problems. No, I'm just kidding. It won't do that. But it will provide podcast production tips for you and some behind-the-scenes stories from the Wild Business Growth Podcast that you can only get there. You can sign up at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. And we can even talk about all the mistakes that we all make because mistakes are... Uh, an important part of business, obviously, as Paul says. Now let's uh, get to some more mistakes. So I, I know by this point you're, you're realizing the mistake and and accepting to come on this interview. So thanks, <laughs> thanks again for dealing with it. But let's switch gears a little bit. Let's get to you as a person and and even outside of work, how you stay inspired, how you stay creative, and. So much of what you're saying keeps going back to simplicity, and you're talking about it within the business. But I'm I'm curious, outside of work, is there anything you do kind of like at home or in your personal life that maintains that mantra of simplicity? Um, I'm banned from using the S word at home because I probably... I have a very patient wife and, and three very patient kids who uh, who are sick to the teeth of me obsessing about it all the time. No, just kidding. Um, I think myself, first of all, I, I like to swim in the sea and it's freezing cold here now at the moment. And I was in the other day and it was sleeting, but it was it gives you an electric shock to the brain on a regular basis. And, uh, and I think that that really, really helps. Um, I've never been a, a fan of a lot of equipment or a lot of um, accessories or anything like that. You have people who go in swimming and they've got they've got four bags of equipment to go down there and where when we go down you just hop straight in, hop straight out, and that's it. You're lucky if you get a towel. It's less less is more. We all need a lot less, you know. Um I'm not materialistic. I'm trying to do this um to to really have a positive impact on the world and and to save people time, to give people some joy around the satisfaction of getting things done. I have an intention to do something um, very meaningful to the community. Who do, we, we deal with a lot of beautiful buildings, and I have an intention to do something very meaningful with people who do not have a roof over their head, the homeless communities in the world. And if we can, if we can make Snafix super successful, there's going to be a, a big part of this. Will be will be giving back. That's so great, and it just makes it that much more meaningful when you have that giving back aspect to it. I, I'm blown away did you did you say that even like in the winter you jump in the sea we we're very fortunate where we live we live a few blocks from the sea and there's a very famous um swimming place called a 40 foot you're gonna have to come over here sometime max and, and, and check it out and you can google it it's really really famous there is a james joyce um, martello tower where he wrote ulysses is right there at that point and people swim all year round it's, we have our own polar bear club and um and people are in 5 a.m., 6 a.m., the same same people arrive on the hour, every hour, right throughout the day. There'll be people in there at midnight tonight. And it's absolutely freezing outside. <laughs> wow. I, I can only imagine that. <laughs> How would you characterize the jolt that it gives you when you, when you <laughs> pop into freezing water like that? 
Um, it's an electric shock to the brain. It clears everything because I'm very intense at work and very impatient at work. It's very stressful at times. You know, it is incredibly stressful at times and it's really, it's really hard. And when you do that, everything stops and you just forget about everything. And it just, for me, it separates the work day from the evening. And when I can come back home, then after that, it, you know, I'm much more relaxed with my family and everything. So how often do you do this? Um, about four, sometimes five times a week. That's amazing. So it's really, almost, it's, it's a daily routine for you. That, that's incredible. A lot of people do it seven days a week. I'm in awe of those people, you know, and then you've got the people in February, they do it for charity on February the 1st, you stay in for one minute and February the 2nd, you stay in for two minutes and then all the way up until, you know, 28, 29 days. And that's tough going. So my hat goes off to those people because I cannot do that. Oh my God, I, I'm freezing thinking about it. <laughs> Going to need to just curl up, sit next to the fireplace and uh, read a book about something warm after this. But so, so that kind of refreshes or cleanses you uh, in your transition from the workday to home life later in the day. How about in the morning? Is there anything you do to like get into the, the work mode or, or wake you up in the morning? Um, no, I'm, I'm actually a morning person. So the minute I get up, I usually just make a, make a pot of coffee and I'm sitting down within 10 minutes uh, of waking up. It, that may not be one to be recommending to people. It's, I hear a lot of people saying you need to do something for 30 minutes or 45 minutes for yourself every morning. Um, I've heard it every time and I believe it, but I just haven't, I'm not a, I'm not a practitioner. I, I'm best, uh, if I wake up at 6am, I'm best at 610 just planning my day and, and and getting focused. Well, I think you should hop in freezing cold water for half an hour in the morning too. I mean, you're really, you're, <laughs> you're slacking there. I don't know if you're spending enough time there. <laughs> I, I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, cool and unique and unusual things, let's get to the unusual. So I won't let you say, you know, the polar bear club for, for any of this, but this is pet peeves, quirks, weird talents. So what is a, what's a weird talent or some say party trick that you have something that you're really good at, uh, maybe just around the house or a memory trick or something, but it has nothing to do with your business. Oh, that is a, that is a, a very difficult question. Now you're, now you're yeah, stumping me. It wasn't going to you... be easy. Nobody said it was going to be easy. <laughs> a party trick. I do tell, I, I, I can tell a couple of jokes. I'm not going to tell any here because they might, some of them might be, not not relevant to this conversation well okay well i have to stop you there so we are rated explicit so there's no concerns about content are, are, are there are, are, is there a joke that you're willing to share given that people know this is uh an explicit no, show i don't think so not not the jokes i'm thinking of oh, okay not, we'll move on to the next question <laughs> okay maybe, maybe maybe you'll tell me offline and then i'll uh okay use uh psp to tell people about it but uh Okay. All right. So you're a good joke teller. You just have to believe it, though. <laughs> what about pet peeves? Is there something that just really, really ticks you off? It's some, something rather minor in life, but it really just annoys you for some reason. Um, I've got a, a number of those. Um, I hate I hate um, people wasting time. In, in, in the business setting, I think if you're giving a presentation for 10 minutes to 20 people you have a responsibility whatever 10 minutes by 20 is you you have a responsibility to make that valuable to those people and you should prepare for that i hate people coming into meetings and just rambling and you've just wasted 10 minutes for for 20 people or whatever so wasting time don't get me started 
wasting resources. It's as simple when I was growing up, you would just hate to be in someone's house and they would have the clothes dryer on when it's a beautiful day outside. That's wasting resources. That's wasting valuable, you know, natural resources. People who don't recycle. That's that irks me. You see somebody putting a, a a aluminum can into it into a trash can, you know, instead of instead of recycling it or glass or whatever. So that would tick me off a little bit. So you get three peeves to uh, to counter me not telling a a, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You know, you're making it extra valuable for us. And then quirks. What is something a little bit quirky about your personality? I won't let you say the simplicity aspect, but what is something a little bit uh, unique to your personality that there's no shame in it. You know, it's great. It's who you are. Um, sometimes I can probably speak a little liberally and maybe maybe not think, think things out before I just say it straight out. Um, I, I'm prone to exaggeration. I mean, the joke that some people say is I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. <laughs> um, so I'm prone to that. So I could very often when I say something to somebody then I have to actually pull it back because they've actually thought I was being serious. You know, this has happened 487 times and they'd say 487. I said, of course I was exaggerating. You know, it, it happened six times, you know, so I'm, I'm probably a little bit prone to exaggeration in order to get my point across. <laughs> That's fantastic. And that explains this interview so much is that you're, you're just known to, to blow things up so much. So thank you. Now let's, wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. Are you ready for it? Sure. All right. Let's get wild. What is your favorite all-time restaurant or bar or pub in the East Village? Oh, in the East Village, it's not there anymore. Um, there was there was an insane place called the Village Idiot. <laughs> well, now th- th- this sounds like a joke. <laughs> It literally was. And I used to bring um, customers there and it was, it was, it was a small narrow bar. And when the owner, his name was Tommy would, would, would feel offended by something. He would use the, the soft drinks dispenser thing and just spray everybody. So it was just, and I just, I just love the energy of that guy. He was crazy. Um, hopefully he's still alive. No idea. But, um, and if you are best of luck to you, but that was, that was kind of cool. That was very cool. That was cool. Idiots all around. Absolutely love it. What, you know, you mentioned you're on five continents. I think actually, you know, you could probably exaggerate up to eight continents and people would believe you, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've done some travel as, as part of your growing uh, empire of Snapfix. What's a place that you didn't know too much about that totally surprised you and you absolutely loved visiting? Um, Easter Island. Myself and my friend Chris from Texas, we uh, we did a bit of research once on the remotest inhabited island on Earth, and we said we we got we got to find it, we got to go there, and it turned out that it was Easter Island, and we hung out there for a couple of weeks, and we hung out in the hills and in in the hills with some of the uh, the local guys and just pitched our tent up there with them, and it was just extremely cool. That that is extremely cool, and that, that's where those giant heads are, right? That's what yes. those giant heads are, whatever that, whatever they're called, the East Island heads. <laughs> what, Moi. Sorry, what's it called? M. I believe it's spelled M A O I. Moi. How would you characterize seeing those in person? Just the, thinking about the engineering to create these and to stand them up in an island where you can stand at the top of the island and you're looking at the Pacific Ocean all the way around. It's just, 
it's it's frightening to think how they accomplish that with such um, engineering accuracy. I, I couldn't, I still can't get over it. I still can't understand it. And it wasn't a big population of people. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like that Stonehenge, uh, the pyramids in Egypt, like those are all just mysterious but awesome engineering marvels. Mind-blowing. <laughs> how long did it take you and your siblings to get ready for school when it's 12 kids getting ready for school? Um, minutes, because we would uh, we would typically try to sleep in late and then somebody would scream the bus and then you'd run out scrambling to the door and then they would finish their sentence by saying is red or something and the bus wouldn't be there at all so you would just scramble and sometimes you'd miss breakfast and just just get out there but the bus stopped literally outside the front gate of our house which was cool <laughs> that's an incredible image i, I swear it, your childhood is, is, is a movie it goes back to the my, my motorcycle running around but that, that's just an incredibly visual image and then last one i couldn't resist with this how often do you get confused for paul mccartney i um i met a guy in a in a local restaurant recently and his name was eddie murphy and because i, I, <laughs> I asked his manager and I, I, he said eddie murphy i said i'm paul mccarthy he said do you get the same heat that i get and i said yeah so the odd time i just have to usually just say this guys you do not want to hear me sing that's how i shut that down <laughs> Wow. Well, Sir Paul, thank you 487 times for <laughs> for coming on, for making the time today, for, for all you do, the awesome Snap Fix story. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, you have me itching to visit Ireland again. It's just a, a magical place and, and just love with your, what you're doing. So thanks so much for coming on. Uh, where is the best place for people to check out, learn more about Snap Fix and if they want to connect with you online? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Max. You're, you and your listeners, everybody's welcome to Ireland. Bring your swimming trunks. <laughs> Although you might force us to jump in the water when it's uh, negative <laughs> degrees Celsius. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. And um, if anyone would like to reach out with us, with any, with any, um, if we can help with any buildings, infrastructure, or equipment, we're on snapfix.com. Perfect. And then last thing, final thoughts. It could be... Uh, you know, a joke that you might decide to tell. No, no, no pressure. Uh, it could be a song. No, it could be quote words to live by. Whatever you want, send us home here. The stage is yours. Um, be kind. I've, I, I've I've benefited from amazing kindness from a number of people um, as as we've been building Snapfix, and they've been very generous with their time, with their advice, and and their support. And it's something I always want to make sure I give back. And that's it. Just be kind. Be kind and please rewind if you want to hear Paul again. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast, sharing your story, sharing the snap fix, snappy fixiness that is just sensational. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to follow the Wild Business Follow. Make sure to follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite podcast app. And tell a friend about the podcast and then go to visit Paul in Ireland and dip into the freezing cold water as you try out Snapfix, but don't get your phone or tablet in the water. You can also find us on Good Pods where there are fantastic podcasts and podcast recommendations. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at maxpodcasting.com and sign up for the Podcasting to the Max newsletter at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!